All right, we're going to continue with our uh, series. It's called Fetch Your Life, and um, we've looked at the topics of money, of work, um, and so we, we, we are going to continue this morning on the subject of rest. And this series, as I said, is designed to help us escape the chokehold of city life. And uh, normally, just adulting and the demands of a life seem to get the better of us. And so we, we, we don't seem to live in the full promise of what Jesus said when he said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. And now this does not mean that life is perfect, but it does mean that you, as part of your faith in Jesus, are called to live a life um, that is wholesome because Jesus cares about you and he cares about every area of your life. Regardless of what you think or how you feel, Jesus actually cares about you and he cares about every area of your life. And as he says, I want you to have life to the full. He's not only speaking about the promise of finding eternal life in him, but that in this life, as believers, we would live the best possible life, the most meaningful life, experience a wholesome life that we would otherwise are not able to do without the intervention of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so as we continue um, this morning on the, on, the, on the subject of rest, I must confess that this is one area of my life that it's, it's, a, it's a hit and miss. Uh, what I mean by that is if I do get any rest into my week or my day, uh, it, is, it is sometimes by chance. It is not because I've set a day apart and, and, and look forward to honoring that day or I'm intentional about honoring a day of rest. Sometimes I do get it. It might be unplanned. Uh, but if it is unplanned, then it happens. Um, it is less likely to happen. Um, and so if you are like me, my prayer is that we would not leave the same, that God would convict us, and we will see that this is a, an, an important area of our lives, and we often neglect this area of our life um, for many reasons. Now, when you think about addiction, I suspect that you might be thinking about things like alcohol or drugs, or perhaps something even, um, perhaps something that you watch, um, or anything of that nature, whereas addiction can, in reality, be anything, right? So Michelle Braden, uh, who is a Forbes Council member, says addiction is being compulsively or physiologically dependent on something habit-forming. So it can be anything if it has that effect on you. And most of us are addicted to our busyness. And because we are addicted to our busyness, we don't prioritize rest. So instead of finding an opportunity to rest, what we do is if we aren't busy with work, we find something else to keep us busy because we are compulsively we just itch to be busy, to be picking something up, to be doing something, and we feel that when you rest, um, it's actually a waste of time. Yes, you have goals. Yes, you are driven. Yes, you are ambitious. Yes, for some things, there's no better time than the present, but at the same time, you are called to rest because you need spiritual, physical, emotion, emotional replenishment, and your health is important and requires that all of us prioritize rest. Even the most driven amongst us must rest. So let's turn to Scripture to see what Scripture has to say uh, to us on this uh, subject. And I suspect that most of us will get a sense of conviction, not that we didn't know these things, uh, but there would be conviction as we again look at what the Bible has to say. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to begin in Genesis 2, uh, verses 1 to 3. I'll be reading in the Christian Standard Bible just for today because this message is inspired uh, by Dumi. 
Genesis 2, um, verses 1 to 3. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. It is true. It is relevant. It is perfect. And I pray this morning that we would be reminded that it applies to each and every one of us. And so help us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to apply your word, to believe it, and to build our lives on it. In your name I pray. Amen. So when God tells the children of Israel about the story of creation, he does not end at everything that I made was good. And in fact, everything that God made was good, as we see uh, from the account in Genesis. But in chapter 2, when all was said and done, God rested from his labor. And you might be asking yourself, well, does God get tired? Why is God resting? The answer is no. Isaiah tells us that God does not grow tired or weary. However, God did take a break from his work because he had completed his work perfectly. As we read in that chapter, he had finished everything that he had set out to do. And when he was finished, he rested on the seventh day. And the text speaks about ceasing from being productive in order to settle and be refreshed. So in that moment, God worked for six days. On the seventh day, he rested so that he could set a pattern for all of humanity. And in his example, he was illustrating to his creation that there comes a time when work must cease. You must stop working in order to settle and find refreshment. You might be thinking, well, that is just descriptive of what God did, but it does not prescribe to us how we ought to live. Well, the Bible tells us that we are called to uphold God's standard of holiness. Now, there are aspects of God's character and holiness that we cannot emulate. For example, God is omniscient, and we, as his creation, are not called to be omniscient. But nonetheless, in God's holiness, there are things about him that we are called to emulate, like his love. God is love, and therefore we are called to give up uh, sacrifice ourselves in order to be loving uh, towards other people. And Peter reminds the church of this. He says in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16, but as the one who called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And so God is exemplifying to us an aspect of his holiness, which is that he rested and we must follow in God's pattern. But also notice that God extended a blessing on the seventh day, and he made it holy. Now, oftentimes when we hear the word holiness, we think about behavior, and we think about purity, but the word holy simply means to be set apart. So on the six days, God worked, and the seventh day, that day was set apart. It was different from the other six days, because on it, God rested. God had done all his work. It was different in that he did not work. And God says, this day is different. I have set it apart as holy, and moreover, I have blessed this day. And so there's something that we can understand as we look at the account in Genesis about God um, in, in the narration of creation. The first one is that Yahweh is not a workaholic. God rested. God is not obsessed 
with much work. He can stop working. Secondly, that Yahweh is not anxious about the full functioning of his creation when he ceases to work. So when God is not working, he wasn't worrying about the plants and the birds and everything else. And God is functional without working. You know, he's not having a meltdown because he's not working. Thirdly, that the well-being of God's creation does not depend on endless work. So God is not constantly working uh, in order to sustain his creation, and it is not dependent on him endlessly working. And fourthly, God's work does not define him or give him value. That is true for all of us, and that was setting a pattern for all of us, that we should not be workaholics, that we should not be defined by the work that we do, that when we do not work, we should not be anxious about our lives or everything else because we have taken a break, taken an opportunity to not be productive. And as we read this account of creation, we must be mindful that it is not merely telling us the structure of creation and how physical structure was, was put in place by God, but, but Genesis also communicates to us the order and functioning of things. It tells us why things are there and what purpose they serve. And so, um, for example, on, 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 as part of creation, God made men and women, and God defined marriage, and God gave marriage a mandate. And so we see how this ought to function within God's uh, creation. Similarly, on this day, the God created it with a specific function, with something specific in mind, and he wanted his creation to be built on a rhythm of work and rest. And therefore, God installs the seventh day and he blesses it. He says this is a good thing. This is a holy day that is to be cherished. Just in case you are not convinced by this account in Genesis, later on when God institutes the law through the Torah, which was given as a guide for his people to help them live lives that honor God, uh, the Sabbath was also instituted by God as part of giving his people the law. And the word Sabbath simply means to stop and not do anything. And we see it for the first time in Exodus 20, and this is what that account says. It says, remember the Sabbath day, stop day, to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your gates. This is important because uh, for the people who did not stop being productive at the time, um, they had slaves and had other people who worked for them who could do the work. And so God is making sure that this principle was not compromised because someone could say, well, I'm not working, uh, but I have delegated someone else to do that work for me. And, you know, my land is still being productive. I'm still making more money. And God says, no, the Sabbath is about completely stopping, completely stop. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in, everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. And as Moses is giving this law, he is referencing God's account of creation and saying, just as God Remember God who created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, so too it is to be with you, that on this day you are to observe it and rest from all your work. You are to stop and switch off. 
So Israel, as God's special people, were instructed to observe this day and honor it as part of their rhythm of life. This commandment was so serious that its violation was punishable by death. Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. If this was given to Joburgers, I think there would be no one, no one left. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath must be put to death. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a permanent covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites, for in six days, again, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So from these verses, we can pick up the following things. The first thing is that Israel was to celebrate the Sabbath, and the reason for that, it is because it is actually an extension of God's grace to them. And so as you down your tools, don't do it reluctantly. God says, I want you to celebrate the fact that you are not being productive and you are being refreshed. This is a good thing. And so uh, when you look at it legalistically, you may think, well, I can I cannot work, but at the same time, not, not completely rest because you've not switched off. You're doing it begrudgingly. I don't want to die, but that is not the point. God says, I want you to celebrate this day because this is a good thing. It is an aspect of God's grace revealed to his people. And he says, I want you to celebrate this day where you are to rest. Secondly, you will notice that the Sabbath was also a sign that the Israelites were distinct from the other nations around them. Historians tell us that um, other nations uh, did not have this law, and this was unique to ancient Israel. So uh, there's no other nation that practiced uh, cessation from work on a particular day as part of uh, their identity or who they were. And so this was something that made the people of God distinct from the people around them. We also understand that the Sabbath was also a sign of freedom, of covenant freedom, from the slavery that they had under the Egyptians where they could not stop working. They literally could not stop working. And that was a part of their slavery under Pharaoh. And as part of this covenant that God made with his people, he says, now you are under my law, under my grace, and as such, you are to stop working. This is something that was uh, different and unique for them. And fourthly, the Sabbath was instituted to help the Israelites reflect on God's provision that as they, re, as they rested from their work, their crops weren't falling apart, creation wasn't falling apart, the rivers will still be there the next morning, your house will still be there the next day. And so this reminded them that actually it is God who provides for my needs. It is not my labor that provides for my needs. In other words, this was a, an aspect of reminding themselves that God is the one who provides for us. It was a day of reflection of God's faithfulness and who God is. And so God said, you are to rest, and when you do rest, things around you will not fall apart. Jesus himself, one of the hardest working people, he started a revolution in three years that we still speak about today. Uh, 2,000 years later, he was a hard worker. 
but he, balance, he observed the Sabbath and had this balance between work and rest. And often Jesus would uh, withdraw from the crowds, not because there, was, there wasn't work to do, but because he wanted to be refreshed and be in the Father's presence. And so he was not continuously working, and he did not feel guilty that he wasn't working. The religious leaders at the time also made the Sabbath a burden, um, which was not God's intention for for the Sabbath. And so in Mark 2, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, when God instituted this day, it was to be It was to unburden humanity and not make things harder. And the religious leaders made everything so much more complicated and harder. And we also see in in, in Mark chapter 6 where where Jesus' disciples come back from a successful missionary trip. They were excited about what they had done, the breakthrough that they had seen, people who had been healed. And instead of Jesus saying, guys, well done, let's keep going, they, they got on the boat and they withdrew. They left. And Jesus is saying, guys, there comes a time where you work and you must rest, reflect, and be refreshed. And it is no different with us today. You might be asking, well, what does that have to do with, with us? I mean, we live in a different culture. We are hustlers and bustlers. Well, the implementation of the Sabbath was not just about the law. See, it was a day of worship for us to remember who God is and to have God at his rightful place and ourselves at our, at, our, at our rightful place as well. And so when Jesus is saying, stop and rest, he says it's because we need it, but also we need to be reminded of where we fit in in the bigger picture of creation. And we are not always honest in Joburg. We think that, you know what, being busy is so rewarding. But because we are addicted to it, we, we often overlook the negative effects that come with always being busy, like being tired. We are always tired, most times because we are always busy. You know, just watch people around you in their cars as they get ready for work, drinking coffee just to, just to stay up, kids taking naps before schools, parents yawning in traffic. You know, we, we live under the tyranny of fatigue. Our diaries are overflowing with appointments. We live one appointment to only go into another meeting, and there is no margin for ourselves or even others around us. And we struggle to keep up with the demands of life. And when sometimes when we are not intentional about switching off and resting, we will find that we decide to rest, and then you get that email from work, and then you get that call, you get that WhatsApp, and because of our compulsive nature, we think, this demands a response of me now. And so well done to those people whom you can text, send a text today and they'll reply to you in two days' time. That is something that we need to do more of. Not everything that uh, you receive through your phone requires of you an immediate response. But most of us try to always be reachable. And if the principle is that I'm reachable, well, you, you will most likely break your Sabbath because there will be something that demands your time and energy. And if we are reachable, as I've said, we are expected to deliver on what someone else is asking of us almost immediately. Consequently, we live for weekends and public holidays, and if you've got kids, you know even those are stretched. Weekends are filled with kids' activities, parties, etc. You know, no wonder we are so overwhelmed. We can't cope, and we, we barely even have 
time for, for, for relationships, for the, for the people who we, we would consider really close friends. Most of us would say, yeah, that person's my friend, and, and it's, it's typical in Jobek to not have seen that person in a month or a month and a half, sometimes even two years. And sometimes we'll say, hey, I'll see you next quarter. If we're honest, we need to say that more. Let's have coffee again next quarter. That's, that's the lives that we, we live. But secondly, it, 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 you see, it not only squeezes out our calendars if we can't rest, but it affects our relationships with others and it also affects our relationships with God. And it also affects your well-being, your emotional well-being. And this is an area we often tend to neglect and we think if I just read my Bible and I just keep on being busy, well, then I've kind of covered sufficient ground and I've kind of ticked that box. But that is not the point. You know, fatigue directly contributes to rage. It contributes to depression, to anxiety, because you are always burdened and always busy. And in always being busy, there is just no time to rest. And so what you often find is that you are always overwhelmed by something. And for those of us who, uh, who, who can relate with this would know that the more, the more busy you are, sometimes the more snappy you are, the more grumpy you are. Uh, and you get triggered. And I've seen that even in the context of marriage, depending on who of you is busy, the other one says, hey, I think you're a bit too busy. That in itself is a, is a fight. You know, who are you to say that I'm busy? I'm doing what I have to do. But we need to honestly introspect and see the effects of our business and the impact it has in the relationships that we have. Because the more tired we are, the, more, the less understanding we are, the less patient we are, the, most, the, 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 the less loving we become towards others and sometimes even ourselves. Not only that, fatigue also contributes to the quality of your work. Now, it says to us that, uh, our city says to us, you know, you, you, you work best under pressure. We even put it in our seat. You work best under pressure. Well, that is not true. We actually don't. We work, uh, we, we produce the least quality of work when we are under pressure, when we are overwhelmed, when we are anxious. And we live in a society where we try to convince ourselves that when you are under pressure, that is when you are really productive. But no, you are meant to be productive from a position of having fully rested. And when you are, you are less likely to make mistakes. You revise things a little bit better. Uh, your life is a bit more balanced. And that, in turn, affects the quality of work that you are able to produce. Someone who does not rest might produce a whole quantity of work. But when you look at the quality of it, you might find that it is lacking. You know, when Jesus spoke about our works uh, in the New Testament, he, uh, he said, God will... You know, we will go through fire. All, all that we have done will be tested, and it speaks about the quality of each man's work. Not how much have you done, but what kind of quality was it? Can it stand the test of time? Is that what God required of us? And so in the same way, being fatigued makes us less attentive. And some of you would say, absolutely, yes, that is true, not only at work, it is true regardless of where you are, even at church. If you are out partying on a Saturday night, regardless of how great the worship is, if you're tired, you're tired. And you might say, oh, my spirit is willing, I want to be engaged, God, you're amazing, but your body says, actually, no. I'm in God's presence, but I'm tired. And that is something that you cannot hide or deny. But we are all live with the limitations of our bodies, and so fatigue has a direct implication on our spiritual lives, but also on our work life. But in our busyness, we also squeeze, our, squeeze God out. Um, we squeeze him out because we are too busy to even have a time of reflection and prayer and meditation 
and we don't even have the time to be of encouragement to other people or have them consistently in our lives that they can encourage us. And so our busyness squeezes out God and the many ways in which God's grace comes to us in the form of us spending time with him and also being in consistent fellowship with other people, all because we are busy. But in all of that, God enters the mess, right? And and God says to us through his grace when he steps into this Job culture, into this busy culture, into your family situation where you are constantly thinking about kids and paying the bills and all these things, God steps into that. And what does he do? Give you the lotto numbers? No, he doesn't. God's grace to us is stop. That is God's grace. He says stop being addicted to your busyness because that does not give you worth or identity. And those medications that you are on are not the way that I want you to live. Only if you can stop and receive my grace that comes through you stopping. You see, in a city like this, that is a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to take in. What do you mean, God, stop? There's no time to stop. Life is just too busy. And when we stop, or see other people in the city who are not living this fast-paced life, we, either one or two things can happen. Number one, we become envious of how their life seemingly looks relaxed and how they're enjoying life. Or, you know, we, we tend to do what everyone else is doing and we keep ourselves busy because that is not normal. Let me be busy because everyone around me is busy. But God says, I want you to take a moment to pause and reflect and I want to invite you to do that right now. You know, what kind of life are you living if you are always tired? Just think about that. What kind of life are you living if you're always tired, anxious, and overwhelmed? What kind of witness are you sending to the unbelieving world? Do you trust God more than you do in your own talents and abilities? Just think about that for a moment. Do you believe that it is God who sustains you and God takes care of you more than it is the fact that you've got a degree and a job and you are looking to do X, Y, and Z? And how is your busyness affecting your relationship? Because God's way is to Shabbat, it's to stop. And God is not opposed to hard work. As we've seen in the first six days, God did work which was good, and he did all of it in six days, so we could say God worked hard. Not that work was hard for him, but he worked hard, and then he says there's a, there's a day in which you must stop working. So God is not opposed to hard work, but he is not condoning for us to work endlessly. And when we Shabbat and stop, we experience God's grace and we are declaring the following things. Number one, we declare that God is ultimately in control. You see, the workaholic spirit in us says that, you know, I sustain my world by my hard work. And so when I don't work hard, everything around me will collapse. Yet Colossians 1.17 tells us that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Christ is sustaining all things, including your life. The same one who says rest is the same one who says, I will sustain all of your life in your time of rest. And so taking a position of rest also reminds us that Christ is the one who is at the helm. We are not at the helm of lives. We do not have ultimate control of life. It does not end and stop with us, but it ends and stops with Jesus. And this is freeing. It means if your phone is off, life will go on. 
because you don't sustain the world. God is not sitting in heaven thinking, yo, he's off today, what am I going to do? He was going to do all that work. No, Sabbath is an opportunity for us to actively worship God by reminding ourselves of, our, of who we are in relation to who God is. And it is declaring that ultimately, God is the one who meets your needs and not you. Yes, money and power can get you some things in this life, but none of those things can wake you up tomorrow morning. It is God who does that. It is him who has power and sustains all creation. Even your next breath is dependent on him. When we stop, secondly, we are declaring that we don't find identity in what we do. You know, this is, uh, and I touched on this last week, and it's relevant when you speak about work, um, even when we speak about rest as well, is that we live in a city that would uh, tend to classify people by, based on their titles and their education. And so what you do becomes an idol. And we know this to be true because when you meet people, they always want to find out what do you do. Now, in, in, some, in some cases, that is just to build report with another person. Uh, but sometimes we can find ourselves measuring ourselves against others. And we either feel bigger than we should or we just feel not significant. And when we rest, we detach ourselves from this dissatisfaction of always being busy because our identity is not in us working, being busy, or being productive. But we can take time to remind ourselves that we have a heavenly father. We are his children. That is where you, your identity is. And God loves you for you. God does not love you because you're a doctor, you're an accountant, you're a lawyer, you're a pastor, whatever else you do. God does not love you because of those things. He loves you for you. And resting and not being productive reminds us that God does not love me because I'm able to produce one, two, and three things for him, but he just loves me as an extension of his grace as a father would love his children. So it's important for us to stop and reflect that God is our father and we are his children. Thirdly, when we stop, we are reminding ourselves, or rather declaring that we are limited and need replenishing. You know, in the environment that we live in, we are often, uh, we are often told that, you know, just, just keep going. Uh, you, you, can go, you can go, you'll make it. And we believe that we can do it all and we can have it all. You can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. In other words, you don't need anyone or anything else to get by. And, and that is not true, and that is, that is hostile uh, to the Christian worldview that says to us, uh, firstly, that Jesus says to those who would follow him, that deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Now, in a worldly sense, that means that uh, as part of the implications of following Jesus, there are things that you may want in this life that you will have to sacrifice as part of your devotion to Jesus. So even from a worldly sense, you will not have it all. You cannot have it all as part and parcel of your followership of Jesus who says, I want you to consider uh, what it will cost you to faithfully follow me, right? And so we, we cannot have it all. And the world says have it all. But as Christians, we actually believe we are not called to that. But secondly, Jesus also saves us into Christian community. And we are not meant to live alone, as we've heard from uh, the Kailami uh, small group this morning. You know, in, in Spedi or Stoana, we would say, in other words, you are because of the community. And if we never take time to stop, we never realize of our great need for Jesus and our great need for others. 
We need to stop and appreciate the richness of Christian community, but also realize how dependent we are on God's grace and not our own works. Because of that, God says, stop. And when we stop, it is grace to us because it allows us to reflect on that. Fourthly, when we stop, we are declaring that we are free from the dictates of the world and the culture. And our culture says to us, you are in a red race. And when you stop, there's another red that is running ahead of you that is going to grab the cheese that you are chasing. And so we live believing that, that when, when I stop doing something, there's people getting ahead of me and I need to keep up. Uh, but what, what is interesting, um, even in the context of geopolitics, that at the time, ancient Israel was the only country that practiced this, and they were meant to stop while all the other nations were being productive around them. And at the same time, they were not losing out on anything in that time of stopping. And they are not to live like the other nations around them and do exactly what they do and idolize the gods that they had. And sometimes, if we're honest, because of our fallenness, regardless of, of our faith in Jesus, we still uh, live within uh, aspects of our fallenness. We do tend to chase money and things that you know, we, we would classify as typical of middle-class people. And we believe those things, and we, we, we incorporate uh, the world's values into our lives and think, yeah, I want that. But have you ever stopped and taken a moment to stop and think, well, why, am I, why, why is this important to me? Why am I really chasing it? Is it because I want it, or is it because of what I've seen around me? You know, is it because I'm taking on the world's value systems, or uh, is it because... You know, I, I, I see this as, as part and parcel of me just being faithful to Jesus. But we need to pause and think, why, what is it that is driving me towards this and that? Why is it that I believe that I, I need to be so busy? So it's not just the, the business that is a distraction, but it is what is the idol beneath the surface? What is the thing that is driving your busyness that you are grappling with? And I think that's where the challenge really is, to come to terms with what it is that you are really fighting and what, what your busyness is actually trying to cover. And for most of us, we, we, we kind of just want stuff because we see people around us just acquiring and accumulating stuff, and we think, yeah, as a middle-class person, I must have that. That's what everyone has. Yeah, I must do that. that that's what everyone has. And we, we just want to acquire stuff, and we work hard because we want to acquire and accumulate things uh, when that is not God's, God's best for us. So am I saying Christians should not have nice things? No, I'm not. Uh, Christians are called to have nice things, but not at the cost of your soul. But what does it benefit you to gain the whole world? It's an exaggeration by Jesus. You can't have the whole world. But even if you did, what benefit is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? There are more important things to us than money and stuff. Finally, when we stop, we are declaring that we live what we believe. You know, Jesus died on a cross for us to be in relationship and fellowship with the Father, and salvation means that we no longer have to earn our way to relationship with God. Uh, it is not Christian, it is not rules that make you holy, it is not anything that you do that makes you holy. Uh, in fact, your holiness 
comes as a result of the finished work of Jesus, and you and I are called to seize from our works, to seize from our self-righteousness in order to inherit or come into the rest of God's work. So in order to come into this rest, God says you must actually cease working. You must actually leave trying to please God by your own behavior and your own conduct. You must not believe that God is not pleased with you because of one, two, three things, as if if you got one, two, three things right, then God will truly be happy with you. No, God says your works, even on a good day, are not enough to bring you into salvation. And in order to come and inherit eternal life, you need to let your self-righteous works go so that you can enter the rest that only comes through the finished work of Jesus. The writer in Hebrews puts it this way, So then, there remains a Sabbath, a rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his own works, right, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so the invitation is for all humanity to stop from working for their righteousness and their salvation and to rather consider that Jesus has done all of that and the invitation is to come and receive. And we are called to not live from a place of striving, we are called to live within this rest that the writer in Hebrews talks about. Now, if that is true of our spiritual lives, then why don't we believe it for our physical lives? For the same God who said, stop working for your self-righteousness because you cannot make yourself holy or cleanse yourself from impurity and sin, is the same God who says, stop working so that you can physically be refreshed. We tend to think one is more important than the other, but God instituted both, and he appeals to us that come and enter my rest and rest holistically, not just in terms of striving to earn your salvation, but striving to keep up with the demands of, of life. God helps us to rest from both, to live in a posture of surrender um, as we rest, because ultimately it is he who is con in control and not us. And so when we are resting, we are declaring that we believe this. We're not just reading about it. We're saying, Lord, I believe this to be true, and because it is true, I will cease from my self-righteous works in order to believe in Jesus and acquire salvation, and I will stop working uh, in order that I can be physically and emotionally nourished and refreshed. It is only when we live it out that we can truly believe it. And so how do, we, how do we rest? Just some application points. Now, depending on your season of life, it may be difficult to have like a full day where you are just not busy with anything. Perhaps in a week you need to think about certain hours in the day where you are just not available, where you are being refreshed, where you are not distracted. Uh, perhaps just even switching off that Netflix series that you're binging. Say, well, I can compromise that. I might not be busy with work, but that's something that I can compromise in order to focus on my relationships, to focus on my time with God, and, 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 and have that just as a time of being refreshed. Uh, for some of us, it might also mean just having a time where your phone is not accessible, where you're just not switched on to the internet. Uh, maybe for you, social media keeps you busy. Or even for others, it might just be current affairs. You, you just can't stop taking in what is happening in the world around you. Uh, and maybe those are things that we can compromise to say, Lord, I am taking out these things in order to build in patterns of rest as I go along. Yes, I can't get a whole full day, but even on a Saturday where I've got kids' activities, within that day, I will block out these couple of hours where I'm intentionally 
resting. Resting so that I can be replenished and resting where I'm not being accessible, where I can be selfish with my time and say, Lord, this is my time with you, my time to not neglect my, my, my physical well-being, um, but also the relationships that you have with me. You know, rest can also look like uh, being refreshed in the presence of other people, and that will look different for, for, for many of us. For some people, it might be intentionally having that coffee date with a friend and being intentional about it. For other people, it might just be taking on a hobby where part of that is refreshing. You're not working, but you are also connecting with other people and building in time to, uh, to be with them. And there's a, there's a kind of refreshing that will come to you in that because it is part of your, of your rest, right? When we are resting, we are not being productive. That's the main principle. God says this is a day not for you to work, to not be anxious about your work. It is a time for you to leave all those things behind and reflect on God's provision and how God is able to be faithful even as you live a life where you are incorporating rest into the rhythms of life. And as other rats pass you and get the cheese, that should be okay. Uh, Jesus said, consider what it will cost you to follow me. And for some of us, it may mean that even as we do that, we need to be less anxious about the things that drive us, the idols in our hearts, the positions that we're chasing, the, the, the whatever it is that you, you think, man, this is what drives me. I need to get the thing. Well, have it in perspective because God says uh, it is important for you to rest. Not opposed to hard work. You work for six days, and the seventh day, God says, this day you are to celebrate it is good, it is holy, and I want you to set it apart. And we can incorporate that principle into our lives in a way that is not legalistic, but at the same time honors a God who said to us, it is good for you to rest as part of your worship and your devotion to me. Amen. Amen. Some questions for reflection. What can you immediately change to rest more? Is there anything that you are currently busy with that you think, well, if I'm, if I'm busy working six days a week and perhaps you are doing something outside of that that you would still classify as work or being productive, what of those things can you just immediately cut out if you're honest and say, I, I, I don't need to be doing this. I can rather rest instead of doing this. Not that you will never get to it, but you can hit pause on some things and pick it up later. So what balls can you drop and what balls can you not drop? Secondly, oh, that was the second one. What things are you busy with that you can drop? Yes, so which balls are more important? It's a juggling exercise. Um, and so what is it that, that's really important and what is, what is it that you can't drop? Maybe for you, you can't drop a kid's activity and that's fine, um, but uh, because you can't drop that ball, what other ball can you drop in order to fit in rest and not try to have that ball along with anything? Get what I'm saying. Thirdly, who can you rope in to be accountable? This is important because if you want to live differently and have a rhythm of rest, who can you say uh, should be the person who should check up on you to check if you are resting enough? Now, it, it may or not be a good idea to get your spouse to be your accountability partner because they, at sometimes, you know, in marriage you think, no, you don't want me to work because you're being selfish, you just want me all to yourself kind of thing, uh, and that just ends up causing its own. Uh, and so, although that might be true, it is not always best just coming from your spouse is what I'm saying. But when a friend says, hey, I've noticed that you, you're actually quite busy and I'm not sure that it's good for you, or I've noticed that you are just more anxious and you are just always worried, um, and so the things that you're busy with seem to be distracting you just from having moments where you can just be refreshed and enjoy life. 
Uh, have people in your life that you invite to be that kind of voice in your life so that you can see uh, God's grace in this area of your life. 